We've got mail. Do you always have to do that when you bring the bag in? Yes. All right. I, I understand. In memory of Tom Hanks. You, he's still alive. That's what they want you to think. Jeez. Uh, Damn, this is bad. Oh, that, that's another one where I've accidentally like cracked into probably some real world conspiracy because I know there's like like bullshit about Tom Hanks. Yeah, and how he's distrusted by the sort of people who believe in like. The, uh, my understanding is it's mostly like he's connected with you know the sort of uh, he, he's wrapped up within the, the sort of celebrity pedophile cabal sort of shit. But you know yeah. that's sort of like a default role for celebrities to follow in conspiratorially. That or Illuminati, depending. Sure, or sure. both. See, in here I'm hoping for like a Tom is dead situation where it's like Tom Hanks hasn't been alive since 1983. There's hints in Forrest Gump, you just need to know where to look. He was uh, replaced after he played a disastrous game of Dungeons and Dragons in preparation for his role in uh, Dark Dungeons. And um, he, he went crazy after his character uh, was kicked out of the game. And... and Drove his car off a bridge, and he was replaced by Tim. Listen, Hanks. we've all been there. We've all lost a black leaf in our day. It, it, some of us don't make it through it. Not intact, at least. Okay, so this is a pretty uh, hefty sack. Also, we have a lot of mail. I mean, I don't know why all of our uh, loyal listeners send bricks along in, in each package. There's a lot of melon bread. A lot of uh, melons. Melons set in a lot more sna- a lot of snares and still. You think this might be why we keep running into them places? Maybe. That, that that could be it. It's synchronicity. That's how it works. No, I think you know he might be following it. us because I think he wants us to talk about his scenarios on air. Oh, that's fine. That's that's that, that's. Our friend of the show, Melon, has been on a few times. Uh, has a. Guy's mad fucking prolific. Like, crazy. I, I'm not sure if everyone listening has gotten, like, a sense for how much content this guy puts out, but he puts out a lot of fucking content. He's an absolute machine. Yeah, yeah. He, like, he's putting something out, like, maybe, like, on average twice a week, and these are, like, full fucking scenarios frequently, too. Yeah, pretty much. It's 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 intimidating. Yeah. Uh, but it's good. It's all good. Yeah. It's, like, it's, like, it's never terrible. It will vary, but it's never terrible. It's always good, worth reading yeah. material. Yeah. Um, sifting through some of these, let's find uh, the things between uh, Melon submitting scenarios to us and the bricks. We've we've got like I'll, I'll pull them out one by one. Uh, I, I, I know you hate that, but also it's it's a good way to do it. Sure. Some of these, the answer is just going to be. We'll do a full episode on this eventually. Yeah, we can discuss it a bit. We can yeah, discuss yeah. it. I can talk. We can sort of about how we'll approach it because we'll put our thinking caps on. So this first letter appears to be from Finland. Oh, I think I know who this is from. From Björk? Oh wait, that's the wrong, wrong, wrong country. Uh... Thompson, we we put it on the mo- the no mailing list a few years ago. Don't you remember? Oh, that's like right. She, her letters don't get oh. to us anymore. It's like the problem we're having with Melon, but worse. Do you have any idea how many unknown army scenarios Bjork writes? <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. And they're all about opening up your TV and looking inside. Um, now, it's only appropriate that we start with the finish. So this comes from a uh, friend of the show and previous interviewee, Zomner. 
who mm-hmm. wants us to talk about Jordan Clay, Dr. Henrietta Apoida, and Mabel Rheingold. I haven't heard these names in a long fucking time. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was, these are first edition Dukes. Yes, not and only first the edition. Second edition. Only first edition. Only first. I looked for a bit in the second edition books. Could not find them. They only show up in Did this one You find one any book. reference? Nope. I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like super thorough. I just, you know, hit control F on our PDFs, but mm-hmm. I couldn't find them. I wouldn't be surprised if they showed up somewhere, but I didn't see them in second edition. And I'll be mm-hmm. honest, I didn't really look for them in third. I don't, I think they might have just been cut. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, they aren't they aren't even they aren't as iconic as your, you know, Dirk Allens mm. or your freaks no. or your Alex Abels or even your Jeters. These characters seem like they could be they're sort of like archetypes of types of characters you're gonna encounter in your I want them literally an archetype, campaign. but yeah, they're sort of these strike me very much as like player characters from some of the first Unknown Armies campaigns that were ever done. Sure, sure. However, to discuss them because I have, I, I like this is something I actually uh, I sort of got the details of this and went over these yeah. a little bit. I did as well. Um, yeah. um, these three characters they are kind of boring, um, in my opinion. But there's some bits about them which could make them more interesting. There's stuff you can develop, I think. Um, so let's go down the list here in the order that Zoner gave. So first we got Jordan Clay, a cult entrepreneur. The uh mm. the, the snapping of the fingers is it's 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 in the text. Oh yeah, sure. I, I can see it. It's right next to the Fenord. Jordan Clay is he's a merchant. He's a merchant avatar. Um mm-hmm. very sort of standard I guess Merchant Avatar. In Though terms of interesting, operating called Underground, I'd say. I, I, yeah, he's he's someone that you see in the cult Underground a decent amount, where he's like someone that is kind of fundamentally good natured, but is like, all right, this is a hard environment, so I need to become harder to survive here. And sometimes mm. they succeed, sometimes they don't. Well, this is the interesting thing. This is what the one thing I like about Jordan Clay. I think the strongest aspect of this character is the person. And it yeah, says, it says his natural inclination is to be a nice guy, but what he wants to be is a tough guy. And the result is sometimes that he's a backstabbing, cowardly, and treacherous guy, returning, retaining only enough decency to feel bad afterwards. That is actually a good character. Like, it's a solid, uh, interesting character. Yeah, someone with some inner conflict, right? I mean, but the thing is, like, him being a nice guy is probably really helpful to him being a merchant, right? Like, you can't play a hardball sure. all the time, otherwise people won't buy shit from you. Well, this is interesting because his noble status, his noble stimulus is that he wants to please others, which goes against, like, his other, like, what he wants. Yes. Like, his whole, he hates being treated as, as if he's inferior, and he's afraid that people think that he's, like, his competence is is an act, so he has like a, a bit of an imposter syndrome. Um, but he really wants to help people. His rage stimulus and his noble stimulus are kind of at odds with each other, and that's a cool thing to have in a character. Um, it, really, it can be because it's sort of the box ticking involved with developing your pa- a character's passions. It can sort of lead to characters to come one note, but throw some conflict in there. It's I, at least personally, I find it more interesting to 
play sure. a GMC or a player character that has some conflict inherent to them. And it also is honestly kind of useful in terms of, like, playing them. Because it means that you have passions that can cover a wider range of situations. That's right. But also, because you have that sort of balance, because you're at war with yourself, that's a good character for the GM to really stick it to your self-score and your, yeah. and your helplessness yeah. score yeah. to an extent, but mostly the self-score. And it's really good to have that, that internal paradox because this is a game all about paradox, so having that within your character yeah. just makes things even rosier. And seeing where they are on that self-score is interesting because if they're hardened, that implies that they're very tolerant of cognitive dissonance and they don't... You know, they, they have a certain degree of that internal conflict, but it doesn't really bother them too much. They're just like, oh, you know, yep. people are complicated. You know, sometimes you go this way, sometimes mm. you go this way. Whereas if there's someone with more failed notches on self, then that more implies like, oh, there's someone that recognizes these contradictions in themselves and it really bothers them. Yeah, they haven't been able to um, sort of integrate them yet yeah. into a... Yeah. Uh, they haven't put up some scaffolding around that paradox to make it seem like something uh, tenable. My only complaint here is that I would have liked to see this dynamic uh, reflected in the obsession more. Uh, the obsession here is Jordan is fascinated by Agreed. the idea of exchange and the fluctuating value that... I Like that... Uh, no. The way um, I do this is he's fascinated by the idea of exchange, specifically like favors, Right. Maybe. Not exchange in terms of, like, you know, necessarily money for a good and or service, but more of, like, the barter, like, oh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And that really brings in that inner conflict this guy has where, you know, he's like, I want to be a nice guy, but I also want to be able to drive a hard bargain. It might mean that... He can be kind of capped in his merchant avatar, and that kind of steers what happens with his character development over time. Does he resolve that conflict somehow? Or does he end up staying sort of as a piddly merchant avatar? Because, sure, he wants to give people good deals, but it often means that he ends up having to do a big favor for people in the future, which can kind of Maybe. fuck him over. Yeah. Now, for me, I, I would interpret it the other way. I would go not with the idea of exchange so much as the fluctuating value and okay. his perception of that and how value is perceived um, and link, link that with his desire to be seen as a tough guy. He has a desire to maintain high value as he believes that society or the market um, perceives it which is why he feels he has to act in a certain way. Um, he has to That's act good. in good. a way that pr promotes his value. This is, I'm, I'm starting to sound like a fucking um, PUA fucker. <laughs> what I'm imagining happens to this guy, if we go that route, that's the lens through which he resolves this contradiction. He's like, all right, sometimes the market leans more towards uh, being kind-hearted, and sometimes the market leans more towards being mean and hard it's all about changing yourself to the current market conditions sometimes the market's telling you to be nice sometimes it's telling you to be not so nice it could be that he like sort of assumes he has the 
sort of assumption of the hard-nosed uh, capitalist head but yeah. like secretly the heart of a communist that wants to help everyone get all together but no he has to suppress that it doesn't want, he, even though on some level he just wants people to be happy but no this is about the market this yeah. is what the market wants i have to that or he goes hard into like you know garo's hard utilitarian like the market is the best solution for the greatest number amount of happiness among the greatest number of people. Oh, he's like full util- uh, utilitarian yeah, exactly. uh, market capitalism, which is terrifying, but okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm seeing this possessions. Um, he has a couple of interesting things. Uh, the, uh, Jordan's best deal to date resulted in him receiving a hand of glory from Alex Abel, which I cannot help mm-hmm. to mentally append the phrase in a truck stop bathroom at the end of that. Oh, sure. Or, or a corporate boardroom. Could or a corporate boardroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've all received a hand of glory in a truck stop at one time <laughs> or another. What do you think this guy's up to these days? Well, there's two ways you could do it. You could just take him as he was and just say... Let's like, say, let's take him as he was, because it sounds like we young. had sort of an idea for like, okay... But uh, what I mean is like, you could just take him as he was, like kick him forward and say, this is the guy he is in 2023 or 2024 or whatever. Yeah, You're playing yeah, yeah. the game. And just update, if you're playing in third edition, you just update like what identities has he got. Looking over his skills, I was a little bit confused because obviously Avatar the, Mer- Avatar the Merchant, that's pretty straightforward. But his top skill other than that is golf, which hey. is pretty funny. I, it's a good skill to have if you're in the business world. That's right. This, this, I just like this like creepy occult entrepreneur golfer. It's well, funny. what what if that's like the lens that he uses to like give himself the permission to be a bit more ruthless? Where he's like, all of my negotiations are done out on the green, and it's entirely dependent on the game, right? But actually, he's not doing so well. But he's managed to get a, a membership in the in the in the golf in the country club yeah. for the golfing, and he's pretty much living out of this country club. He's like yeah. very yeah, yeah. he's that's lied good. about that's how good. much money he's actually got. Washing his hair in the bathroom of the country club and shit. Yeah, that's right. Because you have to, like, show your value. Your yeah. perceived value yeah. is very important. Been a hard time, but he's good at, like, presenting himself as someone that belongs there, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, with that, combined with the merchant, right, he's... Avatars are kind of, often kind of used to, like, having to put on a certain degree of airs. Yeah, no, that works, mm-hmm. that works. Merchant avatar that lives out of the country club, and if you can beat him in golf, will give you a good deal. Yeah, sure. He also he also is good at wrestling somehow. He has a high and, notice. Uh, His wrestling's all right. High notice. Target he shooting. All right, but yeah, it, this guy's this fact guy's that fucking it's there bougie. Is notable. This guy's fucking bougie. He's good at target shooting golf. Yeah. yeah. His charm is better than yeah. his lie. It might be a little bit hard to run as like an NPC because players. Well, that might be the, the that might be the purpose of it. Like players are going to assume he is exactly what he presents himself to be, like uh, just an uh, asshole sort of. Well, until you have the Lenny guy. moment where you break into the country club and see the lights are still on and go to the bathroom and he's just <laughs> sitting there eating his TV dinner on the toilet stall and then just yeah. Please <laughs> don't tell anyone how I live. That's right. 
you have to show them him like secretly doing something have them find out he secretly did something nice um before that happens otherwise i kind of like that he's like he's flipped the shame so now he's like naturally ruthless but has a certain tendency Mm. towards being nice but feel always feels guilty about it afterwards hmm okay yeah that's cool yeah yeah, like a lapsed objectivist well, you know, occasionally they do something just, like, pro-social and nice, but they feel really bad about it afterwards because they aren't being properly selfish. Lapsed objectivist is so good. I'm sorry, Rand. I guess I'll never know who John Galt is. All right, so next we got um, Dr. Henrietta Poida. And this is one, you know, she's a con artist. She's a faith doctor. I kind of like the spin on that archetype she has where she's like, okay, she's like legitimately really smart and like good at mm-hmm. STEM shit, but just found out that being a criminal is more fun and often lucrative. Yeah. Well, this is what's interesting about her is that she's selling these basically um, uh, where you sit in the box. What's it called? With the energy. The all gone shit. Or going accumulator. That's right. It, it's basically that sort of thing, except she rubs some some uh, salient paste into your temples. Yeah, the it's called the Apoida resonator, which is another like yeah, the guys that were playing and running this game in the old days were drawn a lot from fucking Mythos gaming. Yeah, sure, definitely. But the interesting thing is the fact that she got into this like scammy stuff. But she can make drugs. Yeah. She like, knows she, how to make drugs. She could be making pharmaceuticals. I mean, the way I kind of think of it is like the uh, fines and punishments for scamming versus soliciting drugs are much lower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, being a con artist is less risky than, like, actually, like, manufacturing and selling drugs. Sure. Which, that thing, she actually includes hallucinogens in her organ accumulator yeah, she's, scan. She's, she's, she's making hallucinogens. So, so like, what I'm kind of figuring could... is that she was using a hallucinogen that was, you know, gray market at the time, technically legal. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, maybe. you know, something something like uh, salvia or something, right? Something that was like, mm-hmm. wasn't really well known. So, and since then, it has been a, turned into a controlled substance. And also, the other thing is just, most hallucinogens are actually kind of expensive to cultivate or manufacture. So, if you're trying to end up with a good uh, petty profit, pulling scams, pulling cons, then uh, you probably want to remove the drug manufacturing part of it. But remember, her obsession is getting the better of people. Yes. And it says money is actually a secondary element. Of yeah, she, she the, the, the money is a nice principles. bonus. What she's really in for it is the love of the game. That's it. There was a character in um, TV show Poker Face, Natasha Leon, who was like, it was just one on one episode. It was this woman who was a trucker just going around um, selling Canadian medicines that she yeah. just like got a whole haul of it. And like that is something... I was thinking of that a bit, like having like a dark version of that. Like she could, I would have her be actually making some pharmaceuticals sometimes because she can and people want it, but she's more into this fucking scam, which is a pity. Like she could be doing more pro-social crimes, but she's too busy with her fucking resonator to do that. I'd imagine these days she's not really on the resonator beat anymore. 
frankly, it is now easier than ever to ride the line between drug manufacturing and con artistry. Mm. Yeah, sure. Especially if you're getting her skill with computers and the internet involved, right? If she stayed up to date, or you just updated her for 2020... She runs no no tropic scams. Yeah. Yeah, sure. She probably has some sort of, like, supplement blend that she sells. She's Mm. probably really big in the supplements industry. I mean, now I'm seeing her as, like, a sort of, uh... Like, a low-rent version of Goop. Kind of. Like, that's selling that kind of stuff. A bit, but that's not really her personality. Like, say what you will about Goop. I get the sense that Gwyneth Paltrow probably legitimately believes in her own bullshit, right? True. Whereas Dr. Apoida here, she's in it for the love of the con. But I do find the idea of uh, Dr. Apoida brand, brain force, uh, brain power, whatever, being sold on InfoWars... Ad breaks. Very funny. <laughs> yes. Yes. One idea is that she could easily have inadvertently caused some trigger events. Actually, that's probably what it is. She has a health podcast. She oh, has yeah. a podcast. Oh, yeah. Which, sure. unlike our podcast, is total bullshit. <laughs> but uh, if she like, if she's giving people hallucinogens in this elaborate sort of uh, resonator setup with the pineal gland or whatever she's doing neotropics or whatever however she's updated it that could easily like unlock someone's actual psychic power i do like the idea of some like nootropics pill pusher health podcaster that has like held tightly tell the wilhelm reich shit oh yeah oh no that's pretty good mixing like that sort of like therapeutic self-help shit and he's like well, and then obviously, another thing that will help you correct your sleep schedule is to just stop masturbating, because that means you're needlessly spilling <laughs> orgone. Oh, no. I mean, I can see various uses for Doctor, yeah. in quotation marks, Henrietta Pointer. Fun character. Yep, agreed. And then the last one is Mabel Rheingold, everybody's pal. Everybody's pal. This is the sort of character that uh, fulfills a role that is often in Anunnami's campaigns and it turned up a couple of times in the um, campaign starter kits where you have like the unofficial meeting place for the occult underground. The go-to is some sort of dive bar and I've been kind of pushing against that when I run games because it's like, nah, let's let's vary that up a bit. There's other meeting places for a bunch of occult weirdos though a dive bar is like a, it's a very natural one. I like that this is like a cafe slash bookshop. That's good. Uh, I can sort of see the type of cafe it would yeah, be as well. Yeah. Those those cafes still exist, those sort of like bookish cafes. They're not as common. And they tend to have leaned more into the cafe than the bookshop these days just because fundamentally the margin is a lot better on like coffee than it is on book sales. Sometimes you'll have places which are just coffee shops but just happen to have a lot of books that you can read yeah, yeah. because that's the kind of clientele that they attract. They'll just be like, all right, we have this sort of... And that's good for uh, specifically if you want to attract sort of new age mystic uh, people but also the occult underground then just have a bunch of like minorly useful texts in there. Nothing too powerful, nothing too useful, but like stuff that will put you on the right, send you in the right direction. Have an enough like have a bunch of like fluff in there, some occult yeah. mainstream bullshit, and like a few texts which have a little bit 
uh, more direction to them just to attract the right clientele, which is what she wants. She wants magicians to come in there, adepts to come in there. Put a couple needles in that haystack there and see. Keep an eye out for anyone that ends up finding one. Yeah. Now I'm trying to, now I'm thinking, like, what, what are some other good, uh, like, meeting, central meeting points for uh, local occult underground? Oh, this is the, uh, this is the old Taco Bell. Just a parking lot somewhere is good? Well, yeah, fast food, if you're doing Mac attacks, or if you're not doing Mac attacks, like, fast food restaurants is good. There used to be a Walmart here, or an Walmart. It's shut down now, but we still always meet oh, yeah. in the parking lot in front of it as a neutral ground. Or, a, a, like, a dying mall. Like a dying mall, mall not is closed good. down yet. Uh, a diner. Uh, a diner is a very classic. Diner. Uh, strip club. Yeah, that's a good one, actually. Yeah, you know, you want to have a bit of that sleaze in there, so strip club is good. And also, people aren't paying attention to you. They're not paying attention to you at all, like, if you're plotting in the corner. I mean, really, think of any kind of... Yeah, think of any kind of typical front business. Uh, Italian restaurant. Also very... Re- restaurants in general are good for this sort of thing. <laughs> Because uh, again, people tend to not be paying attention to you. Why do we keep? Why do we keep meeting in this raucous gay nightclub? Which is the best <laughs> place to discuss this shit. That's yeah. The the local lesbian bar just always yeah. says that it's closed on like Wednesdays, but that's actually Chargers night. Oh yeah. Hey, they need to hook up too. You think small town lesbian drama is bad? Small town magic <laughs> lesbian drama is even worse. They hooked up, but they're the same adept school. Oh, no. And, of course, they moved in in the second week. Oh, no. Um, I know that's a stereotype, but it seems harmless. <laughs> All right. Glad, glad you covered your bases there, Tom. That's right. So what else does Mabel got going on? So most of her business is crystals, incense, and coffee. That was grown by peasant-owned collectives. And Classic. she peddles information on the side. Uh, her rage stimulus is unbelievers who mock her faith uh, in the mm. paranormal. Fear stimulus is isolation, right-wing fundamentalists who want to destroy her business. And then her well, that's, noble... That's like two groups. We can, which, like, we so can she get, hates the we skeptics. We can get into this. And... We can get into this. So noble stimulus is that she likes to look out for the naive and protect them from the occult underground's more predatory elements. Yeah, like, you know, she's... She's the person that brings ponies in under her wagon. It's like, okay, listen, here's how things work around here. And then on top of that, she has some interesting skills. Uh, she has ignore sleep deprivation, 40%. Uh, card tricks inside a hand, 30%. Her run of business is only 15 Eh. Local occult gossip is 45 And then Cleomancy is 55 She She just makes people remember that she runs a good business. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> She doesn't have to run it. Just go to the timeline where you paid the rent this month. People don't remember when you went bankrupt. They're like, no, no, that's just a rumor. Um, she actually, she she sold that. I've owned this building. That's right. I've owned this building my entire life. That's right. It was bequeathed to me by my uh, second uncle. I've always owned this peasant collective. Yes. So she's very, like, 90s kind of benign New Agey, but also Cleomancer, right? Sure. The thing that comes to mind for what has been up to her since then, she is very much, I suspect, hit the QAnon pipeline oh, no. from the New Agey stuff. Do we have to do, we have to do it? I, I it's, know it's right good. in her fear <laughs> stimulus. It's I, I'm perhaps uh, a bit obvious, yeah. but it's, mm. you know, you had that cultural shift from... The right-wing fundamentalists 
want to destroy all the new agey shit because it's like witchery and concealed satanic worship to now all of the right-wing fundamentalists are super into the new agey shit. And so her first stimulus has switched over to the woke, the woke fundamentalists who want to destroy her business, which has happened to quite a few uh, new agey type people in terms of their political leanings. But here's the thing, right? So what happens when you have like a QAnon on her that's also a Cleomancer? Oh no. Yeah. I wouldn't make her a full QAnon. I would take some like elements of that. She, yeah, maybe she has some leanings, right? Sure. I do love the idea, Ms. Reingold, showing up at January 6th. Just be like, alright, there has to be some way we can pull this off where we don't look like dickheads. She needed some, she needed a Cleomantic charge or something. So, yeah, makes sense. Still has a major burning in her pocket from being at the, being at January 6th. She's like, she says that she's into, uh historical magic and it makes me wonder if she's all like uh, she's got her like things a bit twisted now like all this this cultural marxists with their postmodern magic that's good oh no 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 cleomancy's modernist well i mean it happened early enough in the 20th century that she might still consider it modernist i, I like that as like strongly anti-cultural marxist uh anti-deconstructionist cleomancer what no this is yeah. magic this objectively works yeah sure or just like, oh no, what I'm trying to do is find the real timeline that hasn't been corrupted by cultural Marxism. Oh, right. Like, she could be thinking that, like, um, that there are enemy Cleomancers. Like, it's all Atlantic. And they're all postmodernists. Oh, the only modernist Cleomancer. Actually, actually, um, postmodernism is really just pre-pre-modernism, if you think about it, because it's the Atlantic. Well, like, if you look at the history of Cleomancy, Cleomancy actually predates postmodernism, which largely came to its own during the 50s. So. There you go. Maybe she's like, I accept mechanomancy, that's, that's, that's good. Uh, that's fine. But... <laughs> that, like, mechanomancy and cleomancy are like the cutoffs. Yeah, sure. And then after that, the, you know, doesn't have, like, proper lineage going way back. You know, that's bullshit and shouldn't exist. Like, someone like that with enough knowledge of the occult underground to find out that Praviturgy exists <laughs> will immediately go, there's something wrong. Listen, Portomancy was far enough, and now this? Now this? Is, this is degenerate. Which it is. It is. Um, um, no, it's Ascendant. That's the whole point, Torbson. Uh, that's true. It's Ascendant and it's degeneracy. As someone who lives on what is meant to be the bottom of the world when the Earth's a sphere and there's no up and down, I see it's all relative. Um, Generacy, ascendant. I mean, I can imagine local occult gossip at 45, 25, 30 years down the line. That's if she keeps, like, doing the information brokering stuff. Yeah. Good like, she's going to have a good amount of knowledge on the lay of the land. Mm. There you go. Uh, anti-postmodernist cleomancer information broker that's a good take on it but if you were to drop that element and keep her like similar to as she was but instead focus on that combination of local occult gossip and cleomancy it would be interesting because like she's the only one in town who actually remembers what happened that's also good she has her little cleomantic fiefdom where she's like oh yeah, yeah. no I've been around forever this is how things went down and then, like, that's how everyone in town remembers things happening. But if you go to anyone that's, like, 
left outside of it. Like, what? No, what the fuck? That's totally different from how things happened. That never happened at all. My, my, way, my way of thinking about it was she has fucked with people's brains enough times about events that have happened in town. Like, maybe even to, like, protect them, quote-unquote. Yeah, sure. That she's, and she's done it multiple times that everyone in town, there's so many rumors about what happened, did, like, and this event happened, what happened there. But she remembers what actually happened because she didn't rumor mill herself. Yeah. Like, she knew she, she was there. So if you really want to find out what happened, she's the one you have to actually shake down and, like, taboo and, like, waterboard. And that's, that's an interesting... Okay, okay. Well, see, I was going in the opposite direction where she's the one that's formed the 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 local uh, history of the occult underground is a construct of her own making. I would say that it's it's more like she has edited it. Um, she's edited it. In, she uh, fixed it in post. Um, yeah, but there you she go. would. There she, but what was what she knows what originally happened. She remembers what originally happened, but she changed it. Well, she mostly remembers what originally happened, but she always like clips things and edits things to make herself look better, to protect some ponies from predatory elements, to fuck with unbelievers, to fuck with right wing fundamentalists, uh, whatever. Okay, okay. And that's someone very. That's an interesting person to have as an ally or an enemy in a campaign. That is. You guys are. Making a huge mess. I'm not going to tolerate this. And that's when she starts uh, undoing all the shit you guys did. Or she can't undo what happened, but she can undo how she can change how people rem- remember it. Uh, she can tell. I think she can you change can mix these in my idea. I like the idea that she has a major charge burning a hole in her pocket from being at January 6th. I do like that. That's pretty funny. That's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> that's pretty good. You know, regardless of how much that's actually reflective of her beliefs. Which I do like, she's like mainly fell in with that group. Could just like, no, I, I just really hate postmodernism. You don't get it. <laughs> well, okay, we spent 45 minutes on this. Jesus fucking Christ. All right. Uh, we what have we got to... next? Um, well, th- thank you, Zobna. That was, our, that, was our, that was us talking about these three characters. However, however, in the extrapolation, he did say we could also talk about other existing ones, like what's Jita doing. Um, this is something I'd like to do later in the future as well. Jeter uh, gets his own episode. Jeter gets his own episode. It's the Jeter episode. And fucking Selena. Selena is going to get her own episode with, a, yeah. with an exclamation mark. And we're going to do it live with a studio audience. I do really like that. I do really like the, the art that was done. Very... Mid nineties RPG pen ink drawing. That's solid stuff. Next one we got Utah slash Mormonism in the UA setting. I mean, there's plenty of Mormon oh. weirdness. Uh, in fact, there it's, so it's very much. hard to one. I haven't done you, that much. Do you want me to go through some things that we will talk about? Like this is going to be sort of uh, what we're going to talk about. I'm not going to go into deep detail, but uh, and this is not full Mormonism. I mean, the main thing that comes to mind is like. Mormon afterlife, other space that planets. It's fine, but there's so much. It goes so much deeper. Uh, I, I don't know much about Mormonism, to be honest. I, it be, sounds like you know more I about this. I went on a dive deep enough to realize that this has to be a full, like, two-hour episode at least. This is like, this is like Gnosticism. There's so fucking much. There's the fact. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a religious doctrine. It's a kind of a case of parallel evolution with a lot of the sort of theosophic slash Lovecraftian yeah. tropes that UA pushes hard mm. against. Because it's another case of, like, trying to mix 
mysticism slash religious doctrine with then contemporary science. You know, all the sci-fi planet shit sounds wacky nowadays, but at the time it was like, all right, we know a lot more about astronomy and the cosmos than we did when, you know, the Bible was originally getting written. Uh, Let's try to bring these together. I mean, that sort of sci-fi element comes later with, like, other new religious movements. But when it comes to Mormonism and the Joseph Smith family in particular, they were deeply involved in uh, folk religion and cunning folk ways. Yeah. Treasure-seeking. I do remember hearing about that. talismans, divining rods, seer stones, coffin canes, all kinds of things that are interesting to talk about. Um, like a very, very sort of mixed relationship with astrology, which is funny, but it plays, plays a very big part of it. The cosmology of Mormonism is quite interesting. Um, more like when you go deeper than the, like we get mm-hmm. our own planet stuff, when you get into like the pre-mortal life and the spirit world and what is God and all this, it's super interesting. We, I want to like talk a di- uh, in more depth on that. Yeah, I know none of this, but I'd love to read up about it. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's cool stuff. The the Latter Day Saint movement had a long and uh, tumultuous relationship with phrenology that they eventually said, "No, it's not a good idea." Um, <laughs> that was part of it. And the main sort of thing I know there was they eventually were like, "No, if you're pure enough, you don't become white." That's not actually how it works. That there is okay. Uh, there's okay. Let me go through the things that I will talk about in the future episode, but I don't want to talk about now. So I've got the fact that for a while Protestants in the U.S. were trying to de-whiteify Mormons, trying to like culturally like take their whiteness away from them, which was interesting, like in the history of race and all okay, that. Okay, what does that mean? That it, it just means that we're not going to consider them white anymore. There's something else. <laughs> There's something okay. else. See, I thought it's like, all right, let's pull out the fire hose full of ink. No, no not, not like that. But like they're <laughs> characterizing them as like, this is like one of the interesting things about the history of whiteness is how many people have been kicked out of it <laughs> yes. for reasons. See, you, you hear all the time people on the internet joke about like, oh, the Irish aren't white. Oh, Italians aren't white. Never hear anyone say Mormons aren't white. Oh, it was big. It was a big, big thing. Um, it, okay, it interesting. Was, it was a big thing. There is the Salamander Letter, which is... This was a forged document which talked, like, which really emphasized the magical elements of Joseph Smith's life. But it led to a fucking whole big thing involving car bombings in the eighties. It was it was a whole fucking thing that we're going to talk about the fucking Salamander letter and its link with the Magus, which is um, was a uh, handbook of occult magic published in eighteen oh one which was linked to the Latter-day Saints through, uh, I think, the Salamander Letter, but also other studies. And it was used heavily by a Mormon art collective called The Archive, like Archive, which is an artist collective in Utah formed in uh, 2018, which is, which is interesting, which is like these sort of art punk Mormons, which is cool. There's so much. There's so much. And then we, before we get into, like, talk about other spaces, where the fuck is all the stuff happening 
in the Book of Mormon happening and who are these people? Who are the Nephites? Like, who are these people? Where did they go? What part of America did this happen in? What part of the Americas did this happen in? That's a whole huge topic uh, to talk about right. as well. Yeah, okay. This does sound like a really fucking deep well, damn. There's the Kulom and the Kumom, which is really funny. These are useful animals mentioned in the Book of Mormon, but we don't know where they what they are. There's a, there's a quote in Esther uh, nine sixteen to nineteen, and also all manner of cattle and many other kinds of animals which were useful for the food of man. And also they had horses and asses and their elephants and kyoloms and kumoms, all of which were useful unto man, and more especially the elephants and kyoloms and kumoms. That's just a classic world-building hack, Torsten. Yeah, you you list the like crazy animals that you just made up with the real animals, and you just all mix them together like they're they're equally normal. Sure, right? Sure, it's true. They're trying to work out what they are. Are these llamas? Are these mastodons? Um, it's 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 fun. Yeah, uh, I'd love to do a full episode on Mormonism, and it sounds like that's gonna be like a. Narcissism episode-esque project Yeah, so that's that's the I'm level I'm definitely interested in that I would like to touch on There's a few things that These aren't major things um, These are things which are Small little beliefs Which I thought are interesting Tom, we've just... only been at this for like five We've only been at this for <laughs> ten minutes Alright, look, look, look We had 45 for the last one. Oh, maybe we should talk about this I guess we should talk about this later But it, it's so good Let's just talk about The, the reasons given for the priesthood ban on black people holding the priesthood before the 1978 revelation. There were three reasons given for why black people couldn't be the priests, right? And they're all terrible. The first one is not surprising, that it was the curse of Cain or the curse of Ham. Very classic sort of religious-themed sure. racism. Uh, the second was that they were neutral during the war in heaven, which is insane. Because in Mormonism, the humans were involved in the war in heaven because we were we have pre-mortal lives. So they were neutral. So they ended up punished, which is wacky and insane. Also racist, but differently. That's an interesting... Okay. <laughs> and perhaps the worst, the silliest, and uh, the most hacky of the reasons was it was done to protect them from the lowest rung of hell since one of the most damnable sins is to abuse the exercise of the priesthood. It's like, no, no, we're just protecting them. Which reminds me in a video they did back in the day where it's just like, we cannot allow our precious, precious gays to be in the military. Oh, yes, to be in the U.S. military, yes. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of... It's, it's very interesting stuff related to Mormonism in ways that are, like, good and bad some really interesting theology which i don't think people actually grapple with enough they just sort of see the um what's commonly known about it like the tropes of it but they don't really engage with uh, yeah the depths no, of I, the theology I know about it well i guess i'm gonna need to read the book of mormon now <laughs> there you go i'm sure you can find one and also uh if you want to talk about utah there's a lot of shit in utah like oh i mean it's it's a fairly large it's a fairly sizable chunk of land but it sounds like there's a there's another cult 
they're not going to let it go. There's another New Age religion in Utah that comes from Utah called Summer. I mean, like... The Summer religion. I couldn't really imagine doing a whole episode based on just a single state. We get enough material out of, like, small fucking towns. Never mind, like, hey, here's a whole ass fucking state. They ha- there's, a, there's a trilobite quarry. There's a museum which just has first lady dolls. There's like a pyramid there is an area called satan's land there's the mars desert research station there's skinwalker ranch there's a lot and also the cia recruits significantly from there especially at the moment well yeah no this that's a, like a known thing the cia and the fbi recruit a lot out of cia especially recruit a lot out of utah and it makes sense, you know. You're looking for someone that ha- knows multiple language, has experiences overseas. Sure. The Mormons make great CIA recruits. That's the thing. Like, um, it's not true that they, they like they're the not the conspiracy theory, but the rumor is that they target them for recruitment, and it's not true. It's just that Mormons are more likely to pass the screening than a lot of other people uh, because of their lifestyle. Um, and they're not I, the only I'd group. imagine they target them. To the extent they can get away with it legally. Which is like, okay, here's a popula- sector of the population, a demographic that in large proportion fits our screening and general job requirements. Of course they're going to re- target them for recruitment. And if I was going to run, if I was going to come up with a, a mysterious like federal agency or like FBI group that is targeting like a traditional conservative religious group for recruitment, it would be... FBI Amish. There you go. Just have them like they're waiting for the rumspringer to happen and all these Amish kids don't know what to do. It'd be like, would you like to join the government? What have we got next here? Unknown armies. Well, that was, that was, that was, um, the, that was from Utarian. Hmm. I I wonder why he's interested in Mormonism in Utah. Uh, He's probably from Colorado. Anyway, move on. Okay. Next we got unknown armies in historical settings. Ah, from some guy. Uh, are there any other historical adventures I like? I remember one of you did a game, send the Weimar Republic ones that sounded cool. I mean, I did I did a campaign set in the 20s in the Weimar Republic. That was fun. Uh, that was a few years ago. I've never really done it for an armies, per se. I've done some stuff for Call of Cthulhu and whatnot. No, I, 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 my, my campaign was uh, called uh, Unknown Armies, Weimar Republic. Yeah. That was fun. Um, I If I did it again, I'd, do it, I'd, do, I'd get more deep into the details. It was. It worked quite well, I feel, um, as a setting. Unknown I, Armies is a setting that can do a lot of different periods, I think. I mean, it's a shame we never officially got that, like, History of the Occult Underground source book, because I think it would have been real nice for the writers of the game just to be like, hey, here's some resources, and also, I guess, quote-unquote, permission mm. to do a UA campaign set in the past. I know, like, Ken Height did, like, a really big one set in the Wild West, which sounds interesting. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, that's one good thing about the Call of Cthulhu material out there is that you can adapt historical stuff from Call of Cthulhu to an Unknown Armies game in terms of, like, setting details really easily. easily. I Um, think a lot of it's very dubiously connected to, like, the mythos, and frequently, like, the only connection to the mythos is something that, like, pop up and, like... The two pages of like introduction before the actual usable shit is in there, so like it's really not hard to like rip all those own oh, your lathotep or yogsatoth elements or whatever and just leave it with weird science shit. Yeah, sure. 
Because Chaosium just brought out uh, Japan Empire in Shadows, which is probably the best pan source book for Call of Cthulhu because it's not as silly as the previous ones. Uh, it's a little well, bit silly. Well, that's Miskatonic Repository, I think. But yeah, that thing's fucking ridiculous. It's like 400 fucking pages. It's like a lot of good detail, and most of it is like just details about the setting, which is means it's a, it, like one of like the options. When I ran the Weimar Republic game, before the game, I gave some options of like, I want to do a historical game. Where do you want to go? Where, like, which of these do you want to go for? And my, yeah. the, the other options I had was like 1980s Soviet Union or um, 1990, no, no, 1920s uh, Japan. Because um, yeah. 1920s Japan is also wild, wild, interesting time period. Lots of shit going on, uh, bad mm-hmm. shit, and um, just but interesting shit. Like 1910s, 1920s, especially in Japan, it's a cool area, a cool era. And this book helps a lot with that. Um, that gives a lot of detail. And there's others similar to that in the old. And uh, pretty much anything written. For Call of Cthulhu is going to have, like, cover a lot of ground that also works very well for unknown armies. Mm. So, like, pretty much any, like, the historical Call of Cthulhu city source books. Yeah. Or yeah. if you want to run an unknown armies game in a given historical period. Yep. Not all it's going to be real, but a lot of it is. You know, read fucking Cthulhu Invictus. Read from fucking Dark Ages Cthulhu. Sure. Read from, like, the more focused source books on, like, fucking New Orleans or New York. Or San Francisco. Actually, the, the San Francisco source book's pretty mid. Uh, but same idea is present, right? Like, If you want to run your Unknown Armies game in 20s Arkham, have at it. I mean, that would be fun. <laughs> it would be like, fun. I could totally see that working. You're yeah, like, totally. wait, we're in, somehow we're in a universe where Arkham is, is, exists? Yeah. Where the fuck's going? Like, that's kind of hanging over the whole fucking proceeding? <laughs> yeah, sure. We have to go to Innsmouth. Like, there's not even, like, mythos elements. It's just like, it's just okay, yeah, we're, Arkham's real for whatever reason. What the fuck's going on? Yep. You know, do research from, like, proper nonfiction books, but sure. drawing from these source books for other games is still really useful. Yeah. Because they tend to specifically focus on easily gameable information. GURPS source books are also a very good source for this. Yes. Do I want to run GURPS' system? Fuck no. Do I still read some of those flat books? Because they're often a very good repository of gameable content focused on a particular subject matter? Yeah, sure. There's a book I've got um, called China's Golden Age Everyday Life in the Tang Dynasty by Charles That e. sort of ben. shit's perfect, yeah. It, it, it's sort of arranged like a source book because it's like, well, these are the people that exist. Here's a map of Chang'an and what's where. I mean, where. source book <laughs> exists as a term long before RPGs <laughs> came true. on the scene. That's true. Like, if you can find a source book for a given area, especially in a, like, given historical period, mm-hmm. use that shit. RPG source books are called that for a reason. They took a yep. lot of their, at least initial structure, they've since developed in other directions, from, like, nonfiction Absolutely. source books. Yeah. When are you going to run your Tong Dynasty on an Army's game for us, <laughs> One day, one day. It would be real fun, um, because there's enough information in that book like it covers oh, so it. many I'll different the, things. I'll, I'll run the Tongue Dynasty Unknown <laughs> Armies campaign for you, Thompson. All right, fantastic. I'm gonna be a. Oh well, cause, like Tongue Dynasty is great because you've got like a whole bunch of craziness going on in um, Chang'an with like Zoroastrians and various like weird Persian like religions that set yep. up shop there. The Nestorians. It was the like, it was the most uh, cosmopolitan like Chinese capital, imperial capital, which is. 
makes it really interesting. And there's so much Which intrigue. That, that's the exact kind of city you want for yeah. an Honoris game. You Absolutely. want it to be maximally cosmopolitan. Yes, yes. A lot of weird shit going on. A lot of diversity. Yeah, nah, it would be solid. There's probably two places that I'd really want to do a historical Honoris game in. One would probably be around like turn of the century Prague. Mm. That's cool. Prague is just a very interesting part of the world for me. The other one I'd say would be like Byzantium, like fifty years before <laughs> uh, gets conquered. Fifteenth century Constantinople. Oh no! Yeah. Which honestly, there's like there's uh, a pretty solid. Uh, I think it's Mithras source book on that pretty much exact period. Ah, cool. And you know, that's a D100 game, so there you go. And this was from Bell and Bread, and he has written some scenarios, which are historical scenarios, and we will... Oh, yeah, them. no, he's written some, right? He's written, he's written a few. He's written a few uh, historical scenarios. Uh, a couple set, ironically, like in ancient Rome. Uh, one is set during Warlord-era China. Um, there's, a Tro- there's a Troy one. It's not Troy. It's um, a Trojan War one. Well, sort of Trojan War. Around Anatolia yeah. area one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it Troy? No, it's not Troy. It's set somewhere. He's so he's into like classical period shit. So like, yeah. a lot of his stuff kind of skews in that direction. Yeah. But we'll discuss it. We'll get him on. Classical period and any part of history with like the maximum amount of atrocities being committed. Yeah, yeah sure. Classic, yeah. which classic, uh, I we've talked to him about this before. His view is kind of like he w- looks to those because they're just interesting to players. Sure, and I'm not sure that I agree with that broadly. I will say that that's very much true for people that tend to play Call of Duty, Delta Green, and Unknown Armies. Yeah, absolutely, it uh, fits. We're, we're a whole lot of edgy boys. I do think that there is something to be said. Like I wanted to sort of um, run an Unknown Armies game set in like 50s America, where it's got that whole like. David Lynch style, like everything looks fine on the outside, but let's fucked on the inside sort of vibe going on. Yeah, red ants under the lawn sort of shit. Hell, even playing a game in like in the like doing a '90s era game is a bit like that because the '90s was the era of American optimism, and oh yay, we won the Cold War. It would be really interesting to run unknown armies as a '90s period piece. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> like huh. Laying in on the yeah, I, 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 I kind of like that actually. Um, I th- I do like the fifties idea though, where it's like, okay, you know, weirdos are a lot less sort of tolerated mm. compared to how they are now, and that's not yeah. to say weirdos are tolerated, but it was a lot worse in the fifties. Oh yeah, totally. And there was a lot so, more racism and other isms yes. that were pretty pretty bad. Well, then you have other shit going on, like that's when. The mob cracks down on the occultists in New York. Yep. And then that's when the sleepers drop the bomb on New York as well. We'll stop the magic. So, yeah, like a good one would be some like, upst- some, like, upstate New York suburb mm-hmm. in the 50s. Arkham in the 50s. Uh, well, that's not... Is that upstate New York? Maybe it is. No, no that's Massachusetts. Uh, close enough. Yeah, all right. It's, that's- like, supposed to be between Boston and Providence, if I remember correctly. Fair enough. All right, next one. What we got? Uh, let's see. Running opposite end of things. Running games in the 2030s slash light sci-fi elements. I've loosely had an idea for this for a while, but I've never sure. really done anything with it. And it's kind of been like a, oh, we should do an episode about this at some point. But 
I know. I don't think any of us really had any like idea that we were really enthusiastic about, or at least to a degree where we thought we could milk. I thought I could milk an episode out of it at least. I think it's an interesting idea, uh, sending it I like agree. five yeah. minutes into the future, sort of thing, uh, where it's still recognizable enough. Like it's not that much of a, a cultural shift, but it's like you can just introduce a few elements. It's like a Black Mirror episode campaign where there's yeah, like one thing like or a few things. Black Mirror or like the last season of Parks and Recreation, where there's just some like light sci-fi elements. Or like if you want to go more into the genre of sci-fi. I mean, Unknown Armies has a lot of stuff in common with cyberpunk thematically, in terms of like the dissolution of objective meaning, postmodernism, the interaction between sort of genre trappings and class dynamics, haves and have nots. How do lumpen proles tend to use magic versus, you know, the working class versus the middle class, the upper class? Same way cyberpunk is like, how do the poor, the lumpens, the down and outs use all this crazy? Uh, sci-fi technology the loose idea i had was like basically it's kind of cyberpunk unknown armies and the twist is that the invisible clergy has kind of balkanized Mm, that's interesting because like they they can't agree on shit nobody can agree on shit Mm -hmm. there's not like an objective uh basis for reality anymore Mm -hmm. so either everyone fucks off into other spaces or just reality pulls apart into a kind of other space-esque divisions. Hmm. So, like, you'd have one place where, like, you know, the mother and the hunter are part of the clergy, but the executioner isn't, because he's in another location, right? Uh, Along with a matchless man. Are you doing Anonami's Torg? It sounds like you're doing Anonami's Torg, and I'm, I'm on board. I mean, I could certainly go that way. I don't think I'd go that far in terms of, like... Each universe is its own genre. A little bit. More like... I just want to think like everything's broadly cyberpunk with little details and maybe like, okay, this one's more like post-cyberpunk. This one's like classic Gibsonian shit if I really wanted to get meta with it. I wasn't worried about the tech, really. It was more like, okay, what happens when reality balkanizes and you have like a small selection of the invisible clergy running things? Then you can fuck off to somewhere where a different section of the invisible clergy is running things. That's true. If you can get if you can get the pass to go there. Yeah, if you can figure out how to get your multi pass. That's right. That could be interesting. I think it's that's like conceptually, that's a little bit starting to go off in a different direction from what and this is uh, submitted yeah. by Valiant. I mentioned that they want to talk about like virtual other spaces, Nomon, and the upcoming uh, potential upcoming advancements in AI. Uh, fragmentation of consensus reality, which is what you were talking about, and dissolution of knowledge. You could, like, these are all cool stuff that you could bring into the Anunnaki setting yeah. different ways. I know you want to talk about Nomon in depth at some point, uh, and we will, because we, we love old Nomon. Nomon's good, yeah, but that that's very much like a, that's its own episode. Nomon is its own episode, separate from the Flex Echo episode, which we also need to do at some point. Virtual other spaces is similar to what uh, we were talking about way back in the day about the uh, the light high web, the highlight web, like the opposite yeah, of the yeah. uh, the deep of the dark web or the deep web. See, my view has always been they just use the deep web, and most adepts when they're on the internet just congregate in the parts of the light web that nobody really looks at. 
Yeah, sure. What is, like, technically speaking, it would be the deep web or it would be the dark web. It would be included in that category, but they call it something different. I, I think most adults aren't that tech savvy, so in practice, a lot of it's like, there's this obscure subreddit with, like, 10 fucking full minute turges on it all bickering endlessly. Sure. But when you're talking about like, um, when you're talking about adepts not being very tech savvy, it's different from when Unknown Armies was written, what that means like, than it true. was today. It's true. Yeah. Because not yeah. being very tech savvy, you're still a bit savvy. You still know some things now. Like, uh... Yeah. I, you've seen how weirdly, I don't want to say illiterate, but like, I am always surprised by like, how little Zoomers often know how to operate a fucking computer. Yeah, sure. It's like... Because they're very just used to using phones. So when... I have a friend that works in, like, high schools Mm. doing, like, tech stuff, right? Yep. And the amount of times he's told me that he's had to, like, tell one of the students what a fucking file is. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Like, how to move something from one location in, like... The computer's file system to another. Because phones make that really hard to do. They, like, try to hide it from you. Like, there is... You have to, like, yeah, search yeah. for the, where the files They're trying to make it are. as seamless as possible. Whereas when you're using a desktop, it means you... It takes learning a little bit on how, like, a computer is set up. Sure. It, it's kind of like how learning a really terminal-heavy operating system... Sure, it has a higher skill ceiling, but it also forces you to learn more about a computer. Mm. I'm sure that in the 1910s, people knew how to fix their cars better because they didn't, there wasn't like a mechanic nearby. <laughs> They're like, fuck. The average know. person is as tech-savvy as, they need as to they've always been. Yeah. It's just a case of technology has gotten better at giving those people ways to use, that people that don't really understand it, ways to use it. Sure. Over time. The thing is, like, when you talk about technology, like, and um, internet, phones, whatever it is, these are all just yeah. mediums um, and mediums have always been used in magic in various ways. Yeah. If if there's an adept and he wants to access something, just I'll just throw some magic at my computer and it'll make it do what I want it to do. Uh, doesn't matter if the, if the operating system doesn't support this. I don't care. I spend a charge. In it One of my favorite it. examples of this is the Wikipedia photo for techno paganism. I think I've seen. I think I've. I've definitely been on this page, but I don't know what. You're... Oh yes, there we go. There yes. we go. And and this is old school as well, in terms of like. Yeah. No. This is how. Old, let's see how old this picture is. Well, in terms of like people mixing magic with technology, isn't something that's new. Not even thirty years old. Not even fifty years old. It's always been a bit like that. If we want to go back to like. Um... This photo was posted in two thousand eight, so it is fifteen years old. Relatively. This video of a bunch of guys in robes over over video conference. Shop. Sure. So, with the amount of technological development between now and then, think about how crazy shit's gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting because, like, when you're looking at magic and magic coming from like the people's culture and beliefs and things like that, it, it, there's a lot of overlap with studies that have been done on. Um, the way different cultures react to technology based on like their sometimes religious or at least cultural beliefs. Um, the big example in uh, Japan um, being more open to the idea of um, artificial intelligence, more open to the idea of robots because the history of Japan's like folklore, there's been plenty of stories of like 
tools that have come to life and um, like yokai yeah. that are like, I've, I've, I've carried this umbrella for a hundred years and now this umbrella has a bit of a soul in it so it, it can do things. And, and it's That's not going to be thing. interesting when, because it's a like, it's hundred years, right? So it's going to be a bit before you see computer yokai, but we'll have sure. no lifetime. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But at least because that, that they had that, that cultural, under, like that, element was already present in their culture so when like ai and robots and stuff come along that's why robots uh in japanese uh, portrayed in japanese fiction uh or going all the way back to astro boy and things like they were not so bad they were good they were usually fine um while in the west robots have always been associated with other things, other things like um, not quite human, uh, demonic, cough, cough, maybe. labor uprisings, cough, cough, <laughs> yeah, slavery. That's right. With, uh-huh. I mean, uh, isn't like the etymology of the word robot pretty fraught? Yeah, it is. It is from Czech, I think. You know. Yeah, robot from the Czech roboto for forced labor. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There you go. And that is something that is um, relevant to magic, how people see magic and perceive technology because it's going to vary. Um, and yeah. it also changes like in the same culture from period to period depending on what's going on. Um, so if you're setting something in, say, the 2030s, there's lots, of, there's lots of different ways you can go with that. And yeah, it would be worthwhile. The series that I would recommend checking out, well, there's plenty of series, like any like sort of anything set like slightly in the future is good. Uh, but there's a British series called Years and Years that was a mini series set between uh, 2019 and 2034, but all just uh, following one family living in Manchester. And I liked that because okay. it was um, it was just showing the it, it was a good way to like. Um, to intri- like to show the changes in history through like a single family is pretty cool and yeah like looking and checking out any like this uh, like the good thing about this is like it wouldn't be hard to grok as a player all right what we got next uh guest star db cooper actually no so running games with light was, sci-fi that, elements yep. was from valiant so Guest star D.B. Cooper from Ben. We'll bring D.B. Cooper back on the show when he gives us back the money he fucking owes us. It's, we, we paid for that flight. <laughs> you, part of that's on us, because it was like, he asked us specifically for two, he asked about specifically $200,000, and that should have been a warning sign. I'm, I don't really care about the money. It's always $200,000. It's, it's, he, he doesn't even fucking spend it. It's just specifically he needs that denomination for some sort of ritual fucking reason. My understanding is he's like... He, he's a, what we call a moonlighter. He's like an avatar and an adept. Uh, he's channeling Chopmancer and channeling the, the survivor. He's the avatar so. of the, wa- the wanted man. Uh, well, I don't care about so much about the money, but I'm pissed off that he's got my sunglasses. All right. Next... Uh, is witchcraft on TikTok from God of Grigio. I mean, that, that ties into like a lot of stuff that we were just getting yeah, sure. to go. Uh, like technology and the occult and magic and all whatnot. I mean, yeah, all the t- the witchy TikTok stuff is kind of funny. Kind of embarrassing. It's, it's social of media. Like, they said, God of Grigio extrapolated to say it could be formalized as magic in the age of social media if you prefer. Um, that gives us some more to work with. Um, there's a big difference between witchcraft on TikTok and witchcraft on LinkedIn. Uh, but both are interesting topics. <laughs> yes. Those LinkedIn wizards you gotta fucking <laughs> you watch, out watch out for. Them. TikTok, yeah, that's what I'll leave behind. Yeah. 
LinkedIn wizards, yeah, no, stay clear of those folks. That would be good. I would just, like, we'll go through, like, the Wikipedia page of, like, a social media platforms as they talk about the witches on each of these and what they're like. That's, that's, a, that's an episode. That's pretty good. I know. I There's plenty of new agey bullshit on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, all the stuff about manifesting, being the secret success and whatnot. Like, a very, you know, it's it's a natural result of kind of new agey spirituality stuff intersecting with this very success-driven spirituality where, yeah. like, if you didn't succeed, it's because you didn't want it enough. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's all this talk about, like, oh, fucking Adats Khan getting on weird Facebook groups and Reddit and all, like, the kind of sketchy parts of the internet. There's some weird shit on LinkedIn. Yeah, there is. And the obvious one would be, like, Pluto Mancers congregating through LinkedIn. Oh, no. Giving each other finance tips. <laughs> and Erasmus Mancers and... People teaching Plutophagy over LinkedIn. Oh, no. Like, now, the <laughs> next step for manifesting... It's Remember, it's not about success or monetary rewards. It's about the grind. That's right. So, to hold yourself to it, any... Half the funds you earn, you need to eat. That's right. Yeah, you, you take that first dollar you earn and you eat it. <laughs> and reinvest it in yourself. That's right. Right down your windpipe. You have to, you have to give yourself that hunger for money. Oh, I, that, I could sell that. I could sell that, actually. I, I know exactly how to sell that on fucking LinkedIn. <laughs> that would be so funny. Just all these... <laughs> I, I love that idea of like a business health self-help strategy and like the guys hoping to listen the secret of this is you need to crave money the way you do food yeah. and to that you need to to do that you need to eat money that's right and just money only eat money well you tie that with like intermittent fasting and shit right look like two birds one stone you get to diet and you get to grind harder I'm just imagining someone like with like a blender and just like putting all these like <laughs> notes in there. This is my morning smoothie. Putting like a small stack of ten dollar bills in their protein shake. <laughs> Why do you think it's a green shake? Uh, hey, people put spinach in it. It's not like there's that big a difference. That's true. It's it's got some fiber in there, I think, from what it's made from. But yeah, there's tons of wizards on social media. I imagine it's. Uh, somewhat generational, uh, you know, especially ones that live through the Whisper War, I'd imagine skew a bit more ludic, mm. ludic, um, where they just don't trust te trust technology as much, because very quickly, the True Order of St. Germain did use the MAGATAX mailing list in order to detract people down oh, to yeah. an extent. Yeah, sure. So, there's probably some distrust there. Zo Zoomers... Younger millennials don't give a shit as much. And then you run into things with, like, adepts, usually being people that don't have the most um, best attention spans and self-control, I think. Yeah. If you're, like, some new... Like, if you're a Zoomer and you're a, a pony or you're a new adept and someone is, like, ranting at you, like, giving you this OK Boomer speech about the Whisper War, you're just going to ignore yeah. it. And who <laughs> gives a shit? Uh, that was 20 years ago. I don't care. Though the other side of that is I really love the idea of, like, someone learning fucking, like, Vestamancy from some 19-year-old witch on TikTok. Mm -hmm. I, you could always tie in, if we go back, if we go to TikTok and the whole, like, oh, the Chinese government is spying on everything. 
that's I've I've talked about this before about having like like the Chinese government guys who are discovering yeah. magic by like like yeah. Yeah. so through social media they're like oh my god the West has this uh, there's, prob- there's probably a certain amount of that in the NSA and FBI as well sure sure um, and there's some w- really <laughs> the other thing is like there's some really fucking dark directions to take that down like fucking epidermomancy getting popular in a small subculture online of probably a lot of very suicidal people. Yeah. We just tied with the whole, the whole blue whale, um, that meme that went around Russia for a while. Um, yeah. Letting people do like, in, like challenges increasingly fucked up until they kill themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can very easily see it turning into like an online self-harm cult. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing about like, so sort of like um, social media cults is because they're so, um, distributed, like they're they're hard to like deal with. They're they're a new thing. Yeah. They haven't really developed as much as I think they will in the future because there's yeah. there's other difficulties about running a cult online, which is that it's more that you have more people coming in and being like, "This is some bullshit." I want to make a YouTube yeah. video about this. Um, but if there's a the advantage of it is you've got a cult that's really distributed. Could be anywhere. Could be everywhere. Um, hmm. it is a deep well to draw from uh, yes. magic and social media and I'd love to see more stuff that does so I think yeah, I think that's worth an episode I agree I agree